This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Grips. For comfort, durability, and grip diameter options, Renthal Street has a grip for everyone. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Check out renthal.com for chains, sprockets, and uh, lots of other parts for your bike. Paddock Pass podcast this year also brought to you by KTM and Gordon Ritchie, we've got a World Superbike test review show this week, but uh, you've had a bit of time to review a few KTMs over the years. Well, I've only ridden, as far as I remember, I think I may only have ridden one KTM in my whole life, um, when me and my wee pal Ian McPherson uh, of ex-World Supersport and British Superbike fame um, swapped bikes on one of our many visits. We went to see Simo, uh, Ian Simpson, who was do- started off doing his uh, touring things. So we went down to see him and on the way back for a wee while we swapped bikes. So that was my first and only experience of a KTM. I've ridden lots of twins, but it was really funny because I've got a Kawasaki Versus 1000, which is a big thing, a great thing, fantastic. No, no argument with it, but it's a very different animal from a V-twin, much more sporty, a bit taller KTM. So as I said, my bike is like a, a comfy thing that you can go long distance on, but a KTM just it reminded me like riding... Uh, any kind of sporty V-twin but this time you're up high and it felt like a live animal that's that's the difference, it felt more alive but it was, uh, you know the Kawasaki was a wee bit more comfy, long distance comfy which is why I bought it in the first place why I got it in the first place so yeah, it's uh, they're very unique and it's that kind of European thing there's a Europe versus Japan etc it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'd like to ride a few more for sure yeah, and Gordo, you obviously rode the races during the COVID year, yes. so the comfort of yours was pretty important back yeah, then. Yeah, very much so. I, I used my own bike the first year, and then possibly more wisely borrowed a bike from Kawasaki Europe for the second year, um, and did Netherlands all the way down through Europe to Portugal, and then back. Riding back two days was uh, interesting, from the very south of Portugal to almost the North Sea, in two days through horrible rain was, yeah, an experience. I'm glad I did it, but I don't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, obviously, it was important to be comfortable then, Gordo. And we're here oh. in Portimao now, and it's quite comfortable for us. We were in the middle of World Superbike Test, and that's what you can hear in the background. But, Gordo, we've had a couple of days in Hareth already. We've had a few days between the two tests to talk to a lot of people, analyze what we saw. And there's been nothing that dissuades me from this being probably one of the best years we could having world superbikes the grid stacked lots of good bikes you got four manufacturers all putting in huge effort making a lot of progress keeping things close and then obviously honda still with a lot of work to do but when you look at it is it going to be closer this year um it's difficult to say if batista's fully fit and he's got 500 revs back again and he's got a penalty of what appears to be six and a half kilos then i don't think he's going to be any less potent than last year the question is other people and how they're going to be against them um, there's lots of Ducatis. Any one of them could be more or less with him now. There's a slight closeness. They've got 500 revs more than they, they had in the last year as well. So people like Petrucci, New Signing, Iannone, we've got, you know, there's, there's lots of good Ducatis in that field. Any one of those things could do some damage. Um, it's, it's going to be a great year, I think, for the simple reason that there's been changes elsewhere. And that's what we're looking at, is who can beat Ducati is, first of all, in my opinion, who can beat Batista, then who can beat Ducati. And at the moment, in race trim, we don't know, but in testing, there's lots of people there. 
Yeah, and what we saw in Hareth, Gordo, was Alvaro's put on a bit of timber. You know, he's not suddenly become one of the Daniel Petrucci or anything like that, but he's put on a few kilos. He's obviously thinking now in terms of that weight limit. And the way it's probably going to work is however many kilos you're under the 80 kilo combined leathers, helmets, all your racing gear and your body weight, that's going to give you probably half a kilo is what everyone's been told up to this point. So for Alvaro, if he's able to put on a couple of kilos, it saves him a kilo on the bike. And uh, he seems to... I've done that a little bit, but some of that also down to the fact that he hasn't been fully fit, he yes. hasn't been training. And for me, one of the interesting things was when we spoke to him on the last day of the test in Areth, I asked him whether or not that was having an impact on him. Because when he was on the Honda, he always saw, said that when he wasn't training, he wasn't happy. When he was injured, he wasn't happy. And that impacted his performance on the bike. He's at three months now where he's had to just deal with being pretty badly hurt. Yeah, he's not. He's been able to train, but nothing like the way he would normally. I mean, his whole life revolves around training, getting up early. He's he's a machine, and unfortunately, that machine is a wee bit damaged now. Quite how badly we'll find out. Maybe only when the season really starts. Um, and he set some good lap times in Hereth. Let's not forget that he might have finished down the order when all the Q tires went in, but he did a whole series of thirty nines, if I remember right. That's you know that's pretty good going for a guy who's supposed to be injured. Yeah, he did a dozen laps around lunchtime or just after lunch on the second day, and they were all 39s, and that's wrapping around there with a race tyre. So you have to take that into consideration. A 25-lap, 21-lap, 20-lap race is not a dozen laps in, in, in testing, when you're fresh, whatever. But we have to allow for the fact that he might still be injured. That changes the dynamic of things as well, and that's part of the reason why he's a couple of kilos maybe heavier than he would be normally, because he's not training like the savage that he likes to be getting up really early in the morning with a mad routine. Yeah, when you talk about Savage as well, Gordo, the effort Ducati's put in, that's been pretty savage. They're once again bringing new parts to the bike. They're once again trying to just raise the level. They've got all their riders on the bike this year are world champions or top-tier riders, guys that have won MotoGP races. When you look at it, you've got Bautista and Bulaga, so two world, are reigning world champions here in this paddock, Supersport and Superbike. They've got Sam Lowe's former world champion in the Supersport class. And then you've got Ian O'Neill, a guy that won 125, 250, or sorry, 125, Moto2 and MotoGP races. And Daniel Petrucci, guy that won a MotoGP race. And then you've got Rinaldi, multiple Superbike race winner as well. They've got just an unbelievable stable of riders. Yeah, and to catch back to where they were in the, the, what people like to talk about is the good old days where if you went and bought two Ducatis, you're allowed to buy two then and run two in the garage, um, you would buy two Ducatis, get a decent person to look after them, and you could go and win World Superbike races if you had a rider good enough. Simple as that. Everywhere in the world, wild cards, get regular guys, regular teams. We're kind of back to that now. And remember, if it wasn't for Batista, we would be very, very much back to that now. Um, as I say, he's the pivot to the season. Ducati are back to selling bikes to customers but bringing new things all the time for the factory team that then go to their customers. They want to win everything all the time. It's always been the Ducati way, and since Delinia turned up, Gigi Delinia, the, the genius behind a lot of the engineering uh, and management decisions in Ducati since he turned up from Aprilia, and look at what he did in Aprilia, well, they're doing all that again in Ducati, and they're not just doing it here, they're doing it in MotoGP. They've now built a motocross bike. It's, it's amazing, but here they are still going to be the people to beat. Yeah, because we heard from David, Adam and Neil were obviously at the Ducati event last week. You were at it as well. And it's always interesting to see 
how much emphasis they're putting on the Superbike program. Obviously, the Supersport program, a little bit different. It's not a factory effort, even though it's in the same colours and it there's a fair bit of... More or less is, but it isn't. Yeah. It isn't, isn't. An unofficial factory it's effort. It's the blessed one. Yeah. Let's put it that way. But when you look at it, Gordo, the emphasis on Ducati really is we're here to take over. And they have taken over in the last five years. Yeah, they, they want to get to the stage whereby they're guaranteed to be able to win every week. How much did it take for them and Bautista to swallow their combined pride to join up again after all the harsh words that were said when he left to go to Honda for two very unfruitful years? Um, so, yeah, that shows how much they determined they were. They understood that that was the guy that could make a difference for them. And look at what he's done. Um, and then look at Bulliger, the, the a small change in the technical rules at the beginning of 2023 suddenly let all the Ducati riders in there um, and Bulliger have a dominant win, even against people like Manzi and so on on really good bikes. What did you make of Bulliger during the Hareth test? Well, I mean, like everybody else, it's like, I don't think anybody thought he was going to go quite as well as he did. What, underneath lap record pace? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, but I, I mean, that, no, that's, that, I don't care whether he, and he did use qualifiers to do that, I don't care. That is... It's going some. That is really going some for a guy. Yeah, and he's probably ridden that Ducati superbike of some kind more often than, than he's trying to, pre- not trying to pretend, than is publicly known. But I don't care. That is, first year is awesome. His pace was unreal and his race pace was good as well. Yeah, what, I, what I've heard is he's had nine or ten days on the bike, but to be able to jump in and break the lap record, it's still very impressive stuff from him. And for Ducati, it's also really important for them to get that vindication, get that validation, because they've had it in the past where their second rider, Michael Rubin Rinaldi, when it was Rinaldi, there was always criticism because everyone thought Rinaldi's job was to be the factory rider, win a lot of races, when in reality, his job was to make sure Ducati won the championships, and they did win the championships. But now with Bulaga, you do have a rider that's got that world championship under his belt. He's a junior world champion in the past as well in the Moto3 class. He's got Grand Prix experience. He's got that potential to really kick on and give Ducati something to think about going forward as well. Yeah, if, if he can replicate even half of that stand-up through the rest of the year... Then Bulliger's going to have something to worry about. You know, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Batista's going to have something to worry about from his own teammate, which until now he's only had to do in one or two races. And we always knew that, you know, ultimately if there's a championship on the line, that person was going to give way. Um, let's see how Bulliger does in the heat of race. Testing's testing, racing's racing. But I can tell you that that, was, that surprised everybody. Um, maybe not Bulliger, but I think if I was Bulliger inside, I would also be well. That went well, you know, that went better than you could ever imagine it to. Um, so, yeah, let's keep an eye on him because I don't see any reason why he's not going to be a contender for a top three finish immediately. You know, Ronaldo was with some injuries and so on. The sec- being an Ita- This is a big thing about Ducati. Being a second rider, an Italian rider in Ducati in the factory team has generally been a crushing pressure to bear. And it told on Ronaldo as well. When you look at Davide Giuliano... Um, in his career, he didn't quite flourish into the rider he was expected to. Fabrizio, Michel Fabrizio a few years ago did, um, and that was quite, uh, he won some races, but couldn't sustain it over a season. There's a huge amount of pressure on any Italian rider in Ducati. Yeah, massive pressure on the Italian riders, massive pressure on Bautista as well. Obviously, he's got that two championships under his belt now at Ducati so it's different though it's a different it's pressure different. the Italians put more pressure on their own people than they do on a British one or a Spanish one honestly but when you look at Alvaro 
there is still that pressure of expectation. Now, we've sat down with him as well for this week's pod to be able to talk to him, see how he is. But I'm really interested to see how this year fares for him because the first year, winning that first championship, that's that big goal for, for Alvaro almost 20 years from his first world championship in the one two five class. 15 years anyway. And, and then when you look at the second season as the meeting expectations... And now going forward, that pressure keeps building. Johnny Ray talked about it a lot over the course of those six years. It's not so much the joy of winning, it's the, the relief of just meeting that expectation because everyone expects so much. Yeah, and every world champion that's repeated and repeated can tell you the same thing. Um, for some riders, winning a world championship may be unexpected. And the, when they do one, psychologically, it changes them a little bit. Um, but for people like Bautista... Uh, who was a world champion in 125s and then a world champion again in Superbike. Winning again was very important because he lost one championship. He had two years where he was nowhere near in a position riding that Honda to be fighting for a world championship. So he's, his personal, let's use the correct word, greed for success was at a required level. You have to be like that. Third year, if he's injured, he nearly didn't race this year. He's, he's saying he might race next year. He's already thinking at the age he is that he's going to maybe retire, he's got young kids and everything else. Maybe that will be a, a, a finally a, a thing that tells on him this year because he's won two incredibly dominant championships. I would be surprised if he's dominant again this year, even if he's fit. But he could be because the fact he's got so many strong rivals does mean that there could they could take points off each other as much as anybody else. If we don't have a definitive top three this year, as we generally had last year, then it might be a bit more difficult for Top Rack or Jonathan or another of the existing big beasts to, to do a full season challenge. And that might help Batista if he can be more consistent more often and faster more often. Well, let's hear from the man himself, Alvaro Batista. Alvaro Batista joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Alvaro, we're sitting here, we're still a couple of weeks away from the opening race of the year, but let's take your mind back to the end of last year when you had your MotoGP race in Sepang. That's when we found out that you were carrying an injury. And that injury has been tough for you all the way through the winter. Yeah, exactly. You know, I had a, a big crash uh, in, in the last headed uh, test after we finished the, the championship. I, I lose my strength in my left arm, but it coming from, from a, an hernia that uh, uh, touched my nerve um, and I don't have strength. No? And for sure, I spent all the winter with a lot of pain. I, I, I try to work the, a lot to, to recover as soon as possible, but right now I still have some small pain, no? so it has been really, really tough uh, winter for me. Obviously, we have the Herat test, the Portimao test, and then we go and Philip Island, there is still two days of testing. But you've had three days on the bike as we speak now, and you now know what to expect. The weight was a big talking point at the end of last season, and now you know how the bike feels with, you know, seven kilos or whatever you have to put on it. For you, how different does the bike feel? Yeah, for sure. With more uh, weight, you have more inertia, so you feel the bike uh, is more difficult in all the area, basically, no? to stop the bike and, and also to, to make the bike turn in fast corner. No? So I struggle more than, than last season. Uh, but at the end also, you know, you have to adjust a little bit the, uh, the suspension and everything because at the end, when the bike is perfect and you put uh, seven kilos more, 
suspension work in a different way, no? Even if uh, the the weight distribution is more or less good, but uh, you have to work also on the on the suspension, no? Um, yeah, for sure. In in head test, uh, I cannot work in in that because uh, of my physical condition. Um, and now in Portimao, uh, we started to to work a little bit, no, to find uh, a possible setup for this uh, new uh, weight bike, no. Last year, when this was talked about being in- introduced, you said, "If I don't enjoy to ride the bike, I will retire." Do you feel the same now, or? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I feel the same. Uh, well, for sure, I'm I'm not. In Jerez, I didn't enjoy, but it was because my physical condition. Uh, so I, I, I give another chance <laughs> to this. No, uh, I, I want to to be perfect, uh, fit, um, and then work, start to work with the bike and to to feel if I can ride like uh, finding the, the limit of the bike or. Uh, I see that it's dangerous and I don't have the, the confidence, no, and then I will see. Uh, but now what uh, it worries me is the, my physical, so it's the first thing that I have to improve. Alvaro, we had three question marks about you this year. We had the injury, the weight on the bike, but your motivation. You have won two championships. It is always difficult for riders as they get more and more championships because the enjoyment goes and then you are just expected to win. There is a lot of pressure and when you win, it's almost a relief. How do you feel about that coming into this season? Well, uh, the good thing is that we have uh, many chains in the championship, no? One of that is the, the weight the combination. I know there is uh, new riders coming to the category, uh, other riders change manufacturers, so uh, there are a lot of reasons to to increase the motivation, no? Uh, and for sure, I'm not thinking about to, to win again uh, another championship, no? I just try to to have a good performance, try to enjoy the bike uh, and do my best, no? For sure. Uh, the champion can be only one, so I know it's very difficult, and I'm not worried about that. No, I'm, I'm worried about the, that I can do my best. Um, basically, now it's, it's, I think okay, it's bad thing to be with an injury, but also in this moment I think it's a good thing because it takes me a lot of pressure. No, because I just focus in myself, try to recover my feeling with the buying, my to don't have pain riding. No, so I think right now I don't feel the pressure to win because I, I want to, to be perfect and then we'll see, no? but at the moment I don't feel the, the pressure that I, I have to win. For Ducati this year, yourself and Bulaga as the factory riders, you have Petrucci, Iannone, Rinaldi moves on to the motocorsa bikes and Lowe's comes in. This is six very strong riders. This is, is this good for you where you're able to see how you compare to, to many riders or you just focus on yourself? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's always good to have a fast rider in, in your in your manufacturer, no? It's something like it happened in MotoGP, no? Because then uh, you have more data to compare uh, in the moment that you struggle a little bit. You can see which the what the other rider is using or, or how the other rider is doing the things. Um, and it's always positive to have more data, no? Uh, Normally, I like to, to be focused on myself because, you know, 
I'm uh, lighter than the other Ducati rider and my riding style is a bit different, no? so it's not always uh, a lot of helpful for me to the data from the other. No? But uh, yeah, for sure it's always positive because that means that if you have fast rider and they go fast, that means that the bike can go fast. No? So, you know that you have to work to, to at least be like them. Yeah. Everyone is excited for this season. Probably more excited than any season I can remember since I moved here. And a big reason is Toprak goes to the BMW, Jonathan goes to Yamaha, you stay on the Ducati. And like I said, there are all of these great riders on the Ducati for next for this year. But when you look at Johnny and Toprak to change teams, when you've seen them on track so far during the winter, what have you thought? Yeah, for sure it's... Uh... It's nice that the the rider have the the uh, anger, no, to, to to make good result, no, and they have to to find something that uh, make them at least try to to, to go faster than in the, in the past, no. Um, yeah, the fact that uh, Toprak changed the switch from Yamaha to BMW uh, with that from the outside seems like it's not a competitive bike, no? But uh, he saw that uh, the bike is competitive, no? I know that he went, he, he gonna be fast uh, through the season. Also, the move that uh, Jonathan did from basically all the life with Kawasaki and now in Yamaha is very brave from, from his side, no? And he, he tried to, to make a step uh, forward and try to be competitive again, no? Like he did in the past. Yeah, uh, you know, everybody wants to to go faster and faster and we are uh, in the same condition, no? We have now a different bike about the, the weight, but uh, we are working to be at least as the same performance as last year. Yeah, and obviously for you, Alvaro, you can look to when you left Ducati to go to Honda and you know how difficult this can be so when you look at top rack and jonathan they have been able to adapt quite easily their bikes are easier to ride than the honda was obviously but there is always that doubt in the back of your mind when you when you make a change yeah for sure my situation was very different no because at the end i i switched to honda um and the bike well there is no bike there isn't bike in that moment no so at least uh, jonathan knew very well how was Yamaha that it was fighting for the title until the last race last year um, well Toprak was like a, a more question mark but uh, at the end if you see the BM, BMW potential sometimes they did some pole position they make some podium no? so at, at the end it's a bike that uh, almost the performance can be, can be good no? my situation was really different because I didn't know how was the potential of the Honda, no? Um, yeah, for sure I discovered that uh, it was uh, very in the started and, and the, there was a lot of work to, to do to improvement. So it was, I think, more difficult uh, that situation that, that they find that right now. Okay, thanks very much for joining us, Alvaro, and good luck for the year. Thank you very much. Gordo, when you look at the other Ducati riders, obviously we've got Sam Lowe's on this week's podcast as well, and Sam coming in as a rookie, it's always interesting to see how riders fare in the paddock when they come in. Obviously, Sam, a former world champion in this paddock in the Supersport class before going to the Grand Prix paddock for 10 years. But 
he seems super relaxed about coming here. Obviously, with Alex already here, he's been in and out of the paddock a lot. He knows everyone in the paddock, but this is a, a difference for him now as well because he's onto the bigger bike, he's on the Ducati. The expectation is when you jump onto that bike, you're going to be able to put yourself in position to be able to win races. Yeah, he's got all the tools at hand to be able to win races and have a very, very successful first season in Superbike. But he's incredibly experienced now. He's raced in MotoGP where there are more riders more of the time with with the uh, a competitive package to beat every weekend. He's raced, you think about it, he was a world super sport champion, so he knows this paddock inside out. He's meeting a lot of old faces. He went to MotoGP, he did Moto, he even rode in MotoGP for a bit, mostly Moto2, won 10 races, I think. Um, coming here genuinely shouldn't be, he shouldn't have any reason to be nervous or over over pressurised or over expectant here. I, I fully expect strong performances from Sam. He just might not be able to do it every week purely because there's other people in the same position. Petrucci could go make another jump this year. We've got Ian Oni who's won MotoGP races as well. You know, the, the Ducati effort from top to bottom is like, and Ronaldi has got no pressure this year. Maybe he's going to be free as a bird and win even more races than he's done in the past. Maybe not a championship, but he might be able to make some brilliant performances. Yeah, like I said, you've got six really top-tier riders on the Ducati this year, and that's what makes it really interesting for us because it's not just one Ducati you're really keeping an eye on this year. I, th- I really do think we'll have to keep an eye on everyone at different times through the season. Like Ian Oney's looked quick in testing so far, but how's that going to translate to when we get to races? How's it going to be for him when he goes from being just on a racetrack to in a race and uh, there's all those questions still to be answered the big one for me just to to go back to Lowe's because we've we've got an interview with him is to have Mark VDS here as well now you've been able to see them for the first two days here at this test and it's it's a full effort like they've they're leaving no stone unturned they have got a very good team already they have taken the logistics uh, person from Crescent Yamaha um, they are serious as you would expect them to be as they've always been in MotoGP and I think even that alone is you get the right people in the right place. They've got nothing to be frightened of here. There's nothing but opportunity for them here. You know, I don't think any of the, those people are going to find and feel any pressure beyond the normal desire to win races and get in the podiums and be competitive. So, yeah, that, that's not just another team. That's a, that's a team with a pedigree and a half. And they might be the big surprise this year. And Sam, I've never seen him more relaxed. He just... He's slotted back in here, completely cool, calm and collected. He was a bit nervous well, you know, when he gets on the bike and finally got to perform. Well, look at what he did. Good weather, in Jerez, straight up there. No problem. I think that Jerez test was important because there was nerves before. You're into something new. It doesn't matter who you are. Even Alvaro, whenever he had his first test on the Ducati a few years ago, you could see those nerves. And then when he got off the bike, he was able to say, okay, the Pirelli tires, this bike, yeah, I can make this work. But everyone has those nerves before they jump onto the bike. And the thing that he said, the one thing that was holding him back was understanding of the front. He's still not pushing and taking the front as far as it can go because it's a very, very different feel from the previous tyres he was on. So he's still kind of not quite committing fully, realising there's more. Where's the limit? They're more forgiving, softer, more forgiving general construction tyres than most other racing tyres, Pirelli's. So he's still got to find the limit of the front. And as we know, as we've probably said a million times on the pod, if you get the entry in the front right, that then determines how your corner speed is at the apex and how your exit speed is. Where you come out the corner, how you come out the corner, 
be able to put the power down early. All det- depends on going into the corner. So that is braking, engine braking, and turning, and where he sees that where he needs to make some more performances in that turning. And once he gets full confidence in that, he'll obviously go faster because that's every corner a bit faster. That's a big chunk of lap time. It's not one corner or one thing. Yep. Well, let's hear from Sam. Sam Lowe's joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Sam, you've been on the pod a few times in the past, but never as a superbike rider. And uh, you're at the start of a new journey now. Yeah, obviously, it's uh, exciting times for me. It's been a, a busy pre-season because I've got you know, a lot to learn in, in many things. But it's, uh, yeah, it's nice, actually, to hear you say that, the superbike rider. Yeah, and obviously, for you, you've been in the paddock lots over the last few years. Obviously, Alex racing here. It's meant that you come in, you know what to expect. How big of a big of an advantage is that or would it be better to come in and be a little bit you know everything avoided feeling no I think I think it's good it's really, I've obviously followed it a lot more closely than most people you know when, when they change because the last since I left in 2013 Alex came to the very next year and I've literally watched every session since then unless I've been racing at the same time I followed it that closely and I mean, I'm obviously so close, so we talk a lot about many things, the tyres, the, the, the format. Even before I knew I was doing Superbike, I knew a lot about it. And obviously, once it came out that I was doing Superbike, I took a lot more notice. So I think that's going to help me a lot. I think I'm lucky to have that. It's, it's a very lucky point to have to have Alex. And uh, Yeah, no, I think it's good. I think it's positive. Not, it's not not, not like sort of going to the radar. I, I don't mind it. I don't mind coming in like this. It's, uh, I can't wait for it. Obviously, same team that you were with in Moto2. Jump onto the Ducati as well. Yeah. That's obviously going to make things a lot easier. Yeah, same, same team, obviously, overall as in, in Mark VDS, but completely new team because the, the Moto 2 teams left, apart from me leaving, you know, left untouched, which is which is great for them. So it's a same team, but a new new branch, let's say, or it's all new people, which has been a, a, a lovely feeling, you know, to meet new people, get used to that. It's been, uh, I'm proud to be still with the Mark VDS, riding for Mark Van der Straten, but it's, it's a new team as well. So it's exciting for all those involved. Six Ducatis on the grid this year in Superbikes. Six riders that are either world champions, Grand Prix winners, world Superbike winners like Rinaldi. It means that your learning experience is shortcutted quite a bit. So there is the data sharing across all the Ducatis. Yeah, I think it's, I'm not scared to say it's the best bike on the grid, isn't it? Um, there's other good packages, good bikes, but the Ducati is the best one. The, the way they approach the Superbikes, the way that they share the data, the way that they analyze everything the way that they give the information to everybody i think is 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 amazing and i think gives especially a rookie but you know gives a a rider that chance to perform better um obviously me i've got so much to learn but the things the information they can give me also directly even after a few days riding i can compare a lot more than i would in in other situations you know if i was on a a different bike that didn't have all that so it's not it's not just the level of the bike which is undoubtedly great but is the the way of working and the information that you can shortcut a lot of things that you need to learn because because i and you know nay and you know have a lot to learn but i think that it's, it couldn't be jumping on a better situation obviously for you 10 years in the grand prix paddock and i'm only 22 so it's strange isn't it? Yeah, it's strange. 10 years in gp you won a lot of grand prix challenge for world championships racing moto 2 and moto gp classes when you come back to here how do you feel coming back here I look at it differently. I think I've grown up more in this paddock. I have a massive respect and love for all racing, but also Superbike, especially Superbike. Every rider in the world, every single rider in the world wants to be met a GP world champion. Don't matter what they say, is normal. And all them riders would also love to be a world Superbike champion. It's, it's, a, it's a 
great class. It's always been uh, since winning the World Supersport Championship. I always thought and would dreamed and, and wanted to race with Alex in World Superbike. So it's great that we can do that. And um, I'm, the level, the, the depth of, of field that this is about this year is, is incredible. For you, when you left Supersport and went to Moto2, there was obviously opportunities to be on a Superbike. Yeah. But you wanted to take that risk, really, because when you went to Qatar in 14, there was no expectation on you. Everyone didn't yeah. really know what you were going to do. But when you look at how the last 10 years have played out, there, you come in now and there is an expectation that when you jump onto this bike when we start the season, yeah. you're going to give yourself opportunities. Yeah, I think that the, uh, the class has changed a lot since then. The the, the, the Superbike class now even is, is, is a big field. And, and that's... I'm a massive believer that finishing eighth on a, on a given weekend in a class like it is now, or finishing fifth or fourth or podium in a class from six years ago, even is you're a lot better. Is a lot means a lot more, and I think the time is is, is a good time to to be in it. I think when I went to the Moto Two, I remember going in the paddock. No one even knew knew not knew who I was, but it was such a weird sensation. And uh, you sort of go, no one knows. You sort of really sort of having to prove yourself, or you feel like you've got a bit of, not, not a chip on your shoulder, but you know, no one knows you. No one even talks to you. I remember over that year it evolved, where people actually start talking to you. Then you win a Grand Prix, and everyone in the paddock talks to you. So that was strange. I didn't really like that. He is not like that. I've been here before. Obviously, spent a lot of time here because of Alex, and um, I don't feel the same as that. But obviously, I do feel a, a sense of not expectation, but I need need to do a decent job. You know, I'm, I'm coming in on a very good bike, a proven bike, a proven package. And, and I've done good in other classes, so you, you should be near the front. Then to be on the podium while winning, there's it, it, a lot of things that take that. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that you, need to, you need to go right for that to happen because the level is so high. But I, I expect to be near the front or in some, especially some weekends when everything's working good. And then sure, I'll have more difficult weekends. It's normal for, for the first year, but it's a totally different dynamic to, to when I went into Moto2, yeah. There's two parts that sort of bring that expectation, Mark VDS and then Ducati. When you look at the team and what Mark's put together for us, that's also a sign of just where this championship is right now because he's putting the resources into it. That's very important for this championship that it's not a manufacturer back team. Yeah. It's an independent team and a team that has the resources to be competitive. I think that the, what's great about it is not just the financial situation of the team, is the fact that they pick the right people to do the right jobs. And I think that that's, there's a lot of teams that it's not just about money, you know, is the team and the work ethic and the way the attitude to racing is, is second to none. You know, they, they, everything that I as a rider, me or even the two guys in Moto2 at the VDST, everything the rider needs, they try to do it. Also in the training, in the, in the, in the travel, in the, in the like, you know, everything accommodating the spot just they just try and do everything they can to make the rider feel the best they can and that's something that you know, it's not not just money that gets that you know it's an attitude or a way of working and um, yeah very lucky to be to be in the VDS team obviously this year it, I'm a rookie and the team is a lot to learn you know we, we was at the first testing there's just so many things to learn with the format of the weekend the tyres we don't know it that much about anything so we're relying a bit on Ducati a little bit on Giovanni my, my crew chief this year that that does have that experience, so we're relying a bit on that. But the yeah, the expectation for the team, especially once the season gets going, we figure it out is, is to be is normal that people expect VDS to be at the front, and I think the team are proud of that. That they come knowing that they, they want to do a good job. Um, yeah, and then from Ducati's side, it, you know, you just, it's a bit not too much, but everyone you talk to in the paddock will stop. Right, so right for you on that bike, or yeah, everyone thinks, believes, and and probably rightly so that Ducati is at the minute the be the best bike especially 
especially as a package. Sure, there's some other bikes that have good and bad points, but yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm happy to say that it's not a problem, is it? It's the best bike. There's the six of them, and, and do the best I can on it. Obviously, enough, you were very vocal about the lack of running time in Moto Two. Yeah, it's the exact opposite. Being out three races a weekend, lots of time on the bike. Obviously, it's down from. 20 odd races a yeah. season of 20 odd rounds a season of 12 but a lot more time on the bike over the course of a race weekend yeah I mean given the, the option was sort of stay there and, and travel more and ride less or come here and ride more uh, sorry travel less ride more is, is, is a no brainer and I think is uh, definitely a lot different format of the weekend a lot more riding and uh, even in the days I've done I've done so many laps each day of testing and it's mint uh, riding riding the bike round the track I still love that more than I ever have in my whole life Sure. Then after years into maybe Moto Two, at some point you get over it, or you, you know it gets a bit of a grind on you. That's why it's nice to change now. I'm you know full of motivation. You see, most of the days we've done, I've done the most laps because I just love it. So it was an important change for me. But the actual love and the, the riding and that is so important to me. That just to get out and spin laps. And I think why well, you still got that, you've got to make the most of it. Thanks for joining us, Gordon. We talked there before the the interview with Sam about the adjusting to something new, finding that confidence and then jumping onto a bike and seeing how it reacts. In this interview, Phil, show, we've also got Top Rack Razgadi Ugly. Now, the audio from Top Rack isn't great. It's just recorded from my phone, but it was really interesting to see him out in the bike in Jerez because we didn't get to see him in December when he jumped onto it for his, his tour of Iberia. He went from Portimao to Jerez over to Valencia, but he looked comfortable on the BMW, and the BMW is a good bike. We saw that at the end of last season with Garrett Gerloff. I mean, ultimately... Top Rack is the, the most relaxed cat in the whole alleyway. He just gets on the bike and does it. He understands he's a good rider. He understands his talent. He just he, All he wants to do is find out what the bike can do because he can do more than the bike, whichever bike you put him on. Now, if the bike's not cooperating, then he can only, it's limiting. So, But it seems to me that he's made a much faster transition to that BMW than we expected because every rider that's been on it before has talked about problems, going into corners, back end, whatever. He seems to have already pushed things on there and maybe taken that bike to places that the other riders, just because of the riding style, haven't been able to do. But it's also noticeable that he's not flailing the back end around as much under braking as he did before. So maybe he's actually finding that the way that bike is, he's he's certainly talking that way anyway, that he changes a little bit himself to suit the different bike he's on now. Maybe the, the the maximum for his riding style that he could get out of the Yamaha was to absolutely sail in the corners with the back wheel in the air. Maybe on the BMW, he'll go back to what he rode the Kawasaki like. Because, yeah, he could get the Kawasaki that way when he was making an overtaking manoeuvre. But his fast laps on that Yamaha were still absolutely on the nose, on the braking. So maybe that's how he found a way to make the Yamaha go faster than the other riders could. So BMW, might, he might not be quite as dramatic, um, but we'll see. And maybe he's, maybe he's not just at full pace yet. And with the BMW, Gordo, obviously different electronics on that bike. They run their own package, so you have to adapt to that. And that seems to be one of the big focuses for Top Rack. But when you look at BMW, there are four riders, Van der Mark, Gerloff and Scott Redding. They were all fast in the Jerez test. But that bike was fast at the end of last year as well. We saw it here in Portimao, Van der Mark and Gerloff having a good scrap. Magni Core was like that. Jerez was like that. That bike is a competitive package now. Yeah, and the thing that Top Rack has spoken about non-stops as it got on it is engine. 
because ultimately that's why he lost a few races at the end of last year, literally, remember here in Portimao, we're at Portimao now, watching the testing going on, um, and last year he really just got, you know, if he if he had as strong an engine um, as Bautista did, he would probably have won all the races, the same in Jerez, he, he had to work really hard, eventually made a mistake on going on the green, and lost one of his, lost a potential race win, but if he can have more of an engine and get the chassis to work enough, and remember, when you're a loose rider like him, you're not Max Biaggi who wants everything planted all the time, 250 style. You know, he, he doesn't mind if a bike's a bit loose because that's his natural riding style. So if he's got an engine and the chassis is good enough, even at the start of the season, there's no reason he can't do stuff. The thing you've got to question is tyres. If, if a bike's moving around too much, maybe it's going to chew the tyres too much. That's the only question. Gordo, we went down to turn six in Hareth and we saw quite a few of the BMWs come past and they all rode on the nose into six. There was big endos, even compared to what we'd seen in the past from them. Top Rack is able to show some of the riders there what that bike is capable of on the front as well. And then with changes like that, when the electronics catching up to how Top Rack wants to ride it, it's going to help everyone else as well. And that, did, that, that was noticeable when we went down to turn six. Yeah, and the other thing about all those BMW riders is none of them are the size of Batista or Rinaldi. So they're all going to have more or less the same poundages in the spring. Listen to me with my poundages, you know. And my, I'm, a, I'm an old person, I'm sorry, I still have some relation to the pound and weight. Um, sometimes too much of one, but the um, usually too much of one. No, but seriously, the, the that they're all the same build. If Top Rack's taking it somewhere, they should be able to follow. There, there shouldn't be any... Oh dear, Top Rack's a totally different build from me. He's 20 kilos lighter. It doesn't work for me. They'll now be experimenting with that because you can see the damage that Top Rack does. And every now and again in racing, you get someone who comes along and changes the whole style of racing. Freddie Spencer on cold tyres. Um, you know, it, it happens through the history of racing. Um, I don't think we're seeing that now. But I don't think there's any... I think it's a big advantage to BMW that even if their riders are quite heavy and big, just because they're tall, even Garrett Gerloff's not that, not a short guy. Um, all of those guys are tall and not like top rack. So that could, could actually help them. And with the weight rules this year, none of them should be getting penalised for it. You know, if that is the good benefit now of being a tall rider. It shouldn't be a, a damage to you anymore. Yeah, and I think for Top Rack, as we'll hear in the interview, one of the big things for him is he's got a big chip on his shoulder. He feels like he was slighted by Yamaha, like he was slighted by Kawasaki. He had the opportunity to go to another manufacturer. Could it be, you know, he mentions Ducati in the interview, but he wanted to go somewhere where it would be a surprise if he's able to win. The, the Turkish people in general, and you look at his mentor, Kenan, he didn't do conventional things. He didn't do what people expected him to do. Top racks like that even more. In his early career, he was swayed by Keenan to do things. He wanted to go in super sport like Keenan, and he said, no, go to super stock, 1,000. Um, there was all sorts of things that he's done that you don't expect to do, and all of them have turned out well so far. That's the thing we need to take away from this. Every decision those guys have made has been the correct one. All of them. Let's hear from the man himself, Top Rack Razgariaglu. Top Rack, when you signed for BMW, everyone talked about the money. Everyone talked about BMW opening a checkbook to bring you in. They didn't talk about the fact that they'd already made progress. You look at last season, Van der Mark at the start of the year was very competitive before Aston when he broke his leg. Gerloff at the end of the year, Scott in the middle of the year. The BMW was a good bike. When you ride it now, 
after you've had you know the December tests, two days here in Horeth. We still have another four days yeah. before the season starts. But when you look at where the bike is now, what do you feel? Explain again why I'm signed with BMW. Okay, uh, everyone speak about the money. Okay, I take money. This is the normal because I'm a rider. If you are a very good rider, you take more money. And but why I'm signed with BMW? This is not just the money, because I'm trying to stay with Yamaha. Yamaha not uh, uh, the f like 15 days. We are talk talking with Yamaha for the sign, but Yamaha is not uh, um, try to keep me. When Yamaha understand, I'm start to talking with BMW. Almost done. Yamaha give the 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 good contract. Mm. But we say this is too late because we are speak with BMW. I I I I will uh, I will uh, explain about BMW. And the first I say, you know, normally is the plan for this year. I will go to the MotoGP with Yamaha. But uh, Yamaha is uh, not interesting. I think in GP I don't know. And I think it's the plan. Uh, keep the Quartararo the GP side, they keep me in the superbike side, try to the more podium GP and uh, the superbike. The, the plan I think is this, but uh, I say, you know, if I stay with Yamaha here, I ask uh, uh, good contract. And the Yamaha first says uh, it's not possible, it's, we give a little bit uh, the last one, and, uh, and I say, also, the cannon say, you know, if I'm staying in Yamaha, okay, you give me this. If you don't give, we talk uh, the other the teams. And uh, we are start talking. We are not go to the, the Ducati because um, I say to the cannon, you know, Kawasaki uh, immediately call to cannon, and I say, I'm I'm not interested in Kawasaki. If I'm riding Kawasaki, I'm riding fast. This is no problem. But why I'm not interested? Because uh, Kawasaki is six-time world champion the last time, you know. Mm. If I'm world champion with Kawasaki, this is not special for Kawasaki. Because everyone uh, see and everyone make a celebrate with the championship. But uh, I'm looking at BMW. It's a very big brand. I, I'm talking with Canon. If we are champion with BMW, this is unbelievable because nobody believe, nobody you know uh, the believe the the fighting for the championship, and also not easy bike we know, but if we are improve and riding like a my style, I'm uh, believe we are fighting uh, top three. Okay, maybe not the first year uh, the the champion, but we are. Uh, fighting for the top three and after when we are improved the bike and also we see again we did the 38 you know the we did the 38 looks like the bike have a potential just we need the, the some touch and if we are improved this we are easy to fight for uh, the championship and but still i believe i speak with canon also if you believe we sign with BMW. Mm -hmm. He say, I believe 
if we are world champion with this uh, brand, I think for your career is a, is, a, is a good level after, you know. I say, okay, we sign with BMW and uh, okay, a very big challenge, but I'm very happy. And uh, because if I go to the Ducati, I am already the fastest rider, you know. You see the Bulega. If I am right, uh, this bike I see it again a similar lap time. But uh, everybody know Ducati is the best bike. But everybody easy to the champion uh, with the best bike. But this one nobody believe. And also the you know not strong bike. We see the the season. And I'm just try to fighting with this bike the championship. I believe, but uh, we will see. Just when you look at, you mentioned about Yamaha and MotoGP. When you came for the test, you knew straight away they did not want you in MotoGP. You know, I come, we come here for the testing. I try the bike, and uh, you know the, the this is the biggest problem. I try also the before in Aragon half day, and uh, I don't like the seat position. Seat position is very high. The for the Harris test, I asked to the old guys need to seat position uh, option because I'm not possible riding uh, the, this bike, you know, uh, the high seat bike. Everyone says okay. We come to the testing, the same seat position. I have uh, just uh, six or five tires, new tires, mm -hmm. five tires, I think, and two days test. I say, okay, I'm just riding, you know. The, the seat position is an interesting one because with Yamaha, it took a long time to find this to be correct. They changed yeah. a lot and put you a lot lower on the bike. Now, now it looks like everyone rides uh, the lower bike mm. because uh, I think it's a good, uh, good way for the R1. And first, you need to, you need to important, you know, sit uh, inside the bike for the feeling. Now, uh, first I'm starting like this, and this year I see everyone lower seat. And uh, yeah, this is good. I'm very happy because uh, I go to the, this way, the other one go to different way, but now everyone come to the my way. Uh, this is good, you know. Uh, and, and, and also the four year with Yamaha, and we see the many, the podium, many win, and we improve the bike. Sometimes we lost, but the finally, you know, uh, we have a very good memories. And I'm very happy with the guys because uh, every time uh, they improve the bike, this is the good. And uh, but now I am focused uh, the BMW. Obviously, Top Rack. Everyone is focused on you on the BMW, Johnny on the Yamaha. A lot of new riders coming in from MotoGP, like Ian One. This is a very exciting time yeah, to be in Superbike. You know, today I see many riders did 38. Okay, the, the, some guys is the limit, but uh, the, some guys uh, did 38. This is a very good lap time. And I'm very happy. Today I'm looking again the screen. Many 38, I see many 38. And this is good because Superbike coming more uh, the, like uh, uh, getting uh, the fast rider and looks like a fighting more. Yeah. But the problem, you know, the 
if Ducati go like this, we are watching again like a last year uh, races. Mm. You know, uh, Bautista ride alone. Yeah, this is not nice. Everyone is waiting more uh, battle, the more uh, enjoy the race. You know, everyone is bored on the TV. But uh, I don't know. I don't understand the Dorna. Why not uh, the make the balance? Because this is not the balance. Okay, you put the more kilo to uh, Alvaro, but you give the more RPM. This is strange. Anyway, my bike uh, today, uh, sorry, this year is a little bit more fast, and uh, but Ducati is still more fast. Looks like uh, eight, ten kilometer, and uh, we will see in the season. What is your expectation for the start of the season? Phillip Island is, you know, Phillip Island's difficult track, and uh, also we use AC1 rear tire, and uh, the grip is. is completely different and you need to keep the rear tire all the race and after Catalonia again the same problem you know the, the rear tire is very important but uh, generally you know this two race I am not uh, the waiting uh, some uh, like uh, best result also still we are learning but if we make uh, some good result also, I'm surprising, but we will see. I'm just waiting the, you know, the after Australia and Catalonia. This, uh, the European is like a Jerez, you know, the waiting this track. I hope uh, we are start immediately fighting for the podium. Great to have Toprak on the show. We've talked a little bit about him adapting to BMW. Guess what, Gordo? We got one interview left, and it's another rider adapting. We've got Jonathan Ray adapting to the Yamaha, and you've obviously been in the paddock the whole way through Johnny's career. He has always been Mr. Adaptable. But in the Jerez test, I found it quite interesting that Johnny was, was very happy. He was very keen to say how happy he was. He was smiling. He was saying how great everything was. That's not always a sign that he's actually happy uh, with Johnny, and uh, I think there's there's a little bit there where Yamaha need to unlock it up, particularly day one in Hareth. Day two was better, but it wasn't really where they wanted it to be right from the get-go. And everyone's under pressure in that team because you've got six times world champion. You've got to perform. And for Johnny and for Yamaha, I think there's still a little bit of progress to make. That's where this Portimao test becomes very important. Yeah, and Johnny loves this place. It's one of his favourite tracks. He's, he's won everywhere, but it, this is definitely one of his favourites. So if he goes really well here then they're ready to go. Um, and test is testing. You know, let's not get too worried about lap times and so on. It's what you can do over 20 laps. So I think Johnny's... It's like seeing Johnny in Yamaha Leathers the first time was like, wow, you know, he's because he was eight years or nine years or whatever at Kawasaki, a long time. But he was six or seven years, his whole career at Honda, but six years, I think, in Honda Colors and World Super Sport and Superbike. It's like, you know... It, He's done this before, he swapped before, and look at what happened. The one issue he's going to have at Yamaha is that they don't have a motor as strong as the BMW or the Ducati. And he always said last year, the Kawasaki and the Yamaha are more or less the same engine, same power, everything else. So he's not had a power upgrade this year, he's had a change. So maybe that'll be the challenge for Jonathan, is that maybe the bike won't be any faster than the bike he left. And maybe in one lap, the Kawasaki's maybe got more potential than the Yamaha. But I think over a full race distance, the Yamaha 
with that cross-playing engine, in theory, should be easier on the tyres because it's a kind of virtual twin. It should be a little bit easier on tyre wear, which is the real problem that Kawasaki had last year with both Jonathan and Alex Lowe's. So let's see if that might be the difference in races. But I don't think Johnny's going to show any massive pace in testing, but he's already fast. I think one of the things that is interesting is obviously Alex Lowe's made the opposite change. Yamaha to Kawasaki. And he was able to see the things that the Yamaha did better. And that obviously means that when you jump on the Kawasaki, you want to be able to find improvements in those areas. Ray's got the opposite thing now, where the Yamaha is a more sorted package than the Kawasaki. We've been able to see that with Locatelli's performances, with Domi Agador had his two podiums at the end of the year in Hareth. We had it where Brad Ray did well in Imola, Remy Gardner and Moss in a few places. It does show that the Yamaha is a more user-friendly bike. But uh, for... Johnny, he now needs to find a way to make himself fast on that because we've seen Top Rack, what he can do on it. Johnny can't ride like that, but he's always shown himself to be plenty fast enough no matter what bike he's on. So by the time we get to Phillip Island and particularly the European rounds, when we go to uh, somewhere like Catalonia, there will be a big difference to jump on the Yamaha compared to being on the Kawasaki for rain. I'm, I'm very excited to see how this plays out. Oh, absolutely. I think to finish off his Jonathan's Kawasaki, they went around the houses a lot in the last couple of years trying to get a better setup. And it seems last year they went in a, a, a slightly worse direction. Certainly to start the year, look at the start of the year, he's never been a period where he so few podiums. Um, it, it took him all year to win a race, really. You know, it, it took half a season to win a race. Um, yeah, he needed a change. But he might only have a change rather than a, an absolute definite upgrade. But I think, as you say, for Johnny's style, even the Yamaha should be better. It's a beautifully sweet handling bike. That's what everybody says about it. It's not a, less power than the Kawasaki's got. Um, let's see how Johnny goes, but all Johnny needs is a rideable bike. The problem is maybe because the Yamaha doesn't have a much greater power than the Kawasaki did, that it wo- it, the same disadvantage you had last year he's going to have this year, i.e. down the straights, whereas Top Rack has maybe got a power-wise an engine upgrade and let's see if his chassis is good enough. But I think that the Johnny and Yamaha could seem made for each other. I mean, it's the ideal bike for him to be on this year. It was strange to see Johnny go from the number one back to the 65. Today is the first day we're actually going to see him properly in Yamaha blue as well, Gordo. They've been able to launch their colours. That is a little bit strange to see as well. Yeah, you get used to it very quickly, he, though. He wasn't the big surprise. I don't know why, but when I saw Johnny the first time, it was like, "Wow, you know, look there you go, all those years." But I've I've already had that experience of seeing Johnny do that in front of me, not just on television. You know, suddenly he was always white and blue pattern, and then boom, he's, he's he's in Kawasaki. That was like, "Wow!" Especially with Tom Sykes being proven world champion, there it was like, "Oof, dear me!" Um, and the same here, but first time only. I think the, the more profound thing is seeing Top Rack and BMW cars is much more of a, geez, oh, you know, that, that, that to me is still, every time I see him, I still go, wow, you know? Um, but I think because he became world champion on Yamaha and so on, you know, it's, it, it, he had a career in Kawasaki, but wasn't never in the factory team. Whereas now, you know, he's moving from being world champion, factory rider, lead rider, to suddenly joining another team. Let's have a listen to what Johnny had to say after the Hareth test and here in Portimao as well. Jonathan Ray joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Johnny, first time we're having you on the show where you're a Yamaha rider. Big change for you for this year. But when you look at it, now that you've had two tests in Hareth, test here in Portimao, how do you feel about it? Yeah, really positive. Um, you know, it's just new air. The bike's um, 
Blake's fantastic, actually. I had a lot of, not reservations, let's say, when you move to a new team, you just wonder how it's going to be. You know, can I be fast with the bike? Spending so long somewhere else, it was it was strange, but straight away I felt good. And the team done a really good job of making me feel welcome. You know, they they lost their, let's say, star rider and, um, and gained me, but I was made feel like, you know, a superstar, which was really nice. And... Um, yeah, just step by step working with the um, new crew. A lot of the guys are familiar to me, but it still just takes that little bit of time to build um, working relationships. You know, they're incredibly cool people, good fun, but um, you know exactly what I need from the bike, my feedback. You know, sometimes as riders, um, you say one thing, but it really means the other. So it's um, yeah, it's been just time getting used to that and um, used to the bike, all its strengths. You know, how we can improve the package as well. So it's been um, really nice. Obviously, you've been friends with Andrew Pitt for, what, 15 years? But it's different now. He's your crew chief. You've got Davide that you're back with, having worked with him in Kawasaki. But like you said, a few other new faces around. Yeah, the the crew are, are great. You know, AP, I've... Um, you know, he was pretty much took me under his wing when I came to the World Championship in 08. He won the world title that year. I was runner-up. We had a great time. Um... Then when he retired from racing, went into the crew chief role, albeit as in another team, and um, he became a competitor. And um, you know, our friendship um, wandered a little bit, you know, competing against each other at that intense world championship level. But we spent so much time together. We lived very close in the Isle of Man and hung out. So to to get back together and and work closely together, it's really cool. He's a good guy. Uh, he's got all the credentials of um, you know an amazing rider. He's a very experienced crew chief now as well. So we're just crossing the T's, dotting the I's, understanding each other, and I'm really enjoying um, rekindling that. And the other guys, like you say, Davide, um, I worked with for many years, won a few titles with him. Or he's been my backbone at KRT um, when I was there. So um, And then with Fabian, my brother Chris coming across, um, you know, Gaz hanging around. It feels like it's a home from home, really. So it uh, didn't take too long to blend in. And what about the bike then as well? Obviously, very different configuration to what you're used to from first Honda, then Kawasaki. But it looks like, by and large, it's been an easy bike to jump onto and feel comfortable, whether or not you're able to get to that limit just yet. Well, I think it's... I could say about the Yamaha, but it's about most bikes. All these bikes are good on the grid, you know, and it's it's quite easy to ride a bike within, let's say, one second of a lap record for most riders in the paddock, you know, but it's then extracting that last bit. Well, the Yamaha does give you that little bit of um, extra confidence, but when you arrive there to so that limit feeling, let's say, it's really hard to extract the best. You'd really need to know the bike inside out, and that's where I'm still exploring, um, excuse me, exactly where I can make the, the difference, you know, where I can ride the bike on the limit. But I feel very competitive over um, race distance, you know, with old tires, I've been fast, but just when I put the fresh tire in, I find it really hard to, to make the difference. When, um, you know, at the last test in November, I felt like I was flying, but when everyone put qualifiers in, I just didn't really understand how to take the best from the Q tire. Um, but, you know, that's going to come. I was still fast, but it's it's them last little percents, isn't it? And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy the bike. It's um, electronically, it's sound. Chassis-wise, it's sound. Um, of course, we know what we're up against and where our difficulties come, but we just need to work on our our positive attributes of the bike and and see what we can do. Testing's never been one of your favorite times of the year, but 
this year, you've said it's a little bit different at the start of the winter, but now you're pretty much saying that you're just ready to get in, get racing in Phillip Island. Yeah, I was really looking forward to testing, to be honest. But once you understand the bike, you want to just see lights go out and probably not ready to race. You're never ready to race. You could always improve, but um, I just want to go ride racing. Um, and you can always improve things in testing, improve the feeling, but at the end, um, there's a time we have to draw the line and go racing. And I think it's coming up really, really fast now. Um, I think a measure of where I've where I've come from is actually... I've done quite a lot of laps this off-season um, on the bike, but it hasn't felt like that. Normally, if I look at my lap count and the, you know, my daily lap count in winter tests, I'm you know, 50, 60 laps, not so many. It's always quality over quantity, but you know, here it's been quality and quantity. It's, the laps are racking up, even in short days, and it, um, I think that bodes well. I think every lap's a learning day, a learning lap. You know what I mean? You can always learn something, So, um, and the guys have a lot of data, so... Not not the heat pressure on them, but it's um I need some support now. You know, we get um all this sat down and back at base to, to put a real good package together to go to Australia with. You spent three years pretty much bar to bar with Top Rack, almost every round, almost every race. What was the biggest surprise when you jumped onto the Yamaha for what you had expected having seen how Top Rack was racing? Um that's a good question. Let me think. Um, straight away, you know, a lot of um, plaudits are landed on top rack for his braking style, but straight away I felt the Yamaha, you know, I thought my previous bike stopped well, but the Yamaha stops really well, you know, and I'm stopping the bike um, as good or, or better than top rack in some areas, so that surprised me. Um, what surprised me when I was watching top rack last year was the shapes he would have the bike in and still make the lap time. Um, I didn't understand how, why he could be, you know, 45 degrees to an apex and pull it down and, and get out of the corner. And when you ride the bike, you understand. If I tried to do that on my, my previous bike, I'd blow the corner out or I'd crash or um, just couldn't make the apexes. And um, that's an area I'm starting to just open my brain to is you know going into the corners with the rear a little bit more loose because I, I tend to be more more in line and more in line a lot of support from the engine brake system to get into the corner but um, you know when I see for example the Chaz Davis style how he entered the corner to the apex or or top rack as well you start to think well do I need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and exploring that but seems like my style is my style and even though the bike's a little bit looser, for example, three here or five, you know, I can go in a little bit sideways, but any more than that, I feel I'm losing time. Just one last thing to finish off as well, Johnny, the season ahead. I've never seen a grid this stacked in superbikes. You look at, you know, four Yamaha riders are world champions. Then you've got Brad Ray as BSB champion. You look at Ducati, lots of world champions. Everyone's won races in MotoGP or in world superbikes. BMW is a similar story. When you look at how the season plays out, it's very easy to see how you could be winning one week, fifth the next, you know, further down the order the next as well. Like it's going to be a really challenging season for everyone. Yeah, I think so. But I think really, I mean, everyone gets excited about this time of year, you know, and there's always cause for motivation up and down the paddock. But really the, the championship will find its, um, it'll, everyone will find their place. You know, I think the guys that 
or the guy that wins the championship will be he'll be winning a lot more than he'll be a fifth let's say but um you know for me it's about trying to be as consistent as i can like them bad days or the tough days let's say to to make them as as good as they can be and um let's see i'd love to you know, i'm dreaming of winning a race for this bike i'd be i think it would be huge um for me and and also for the team and try and build um some consistency into that and then see where we are come october thanks johnny cheers Gordo, we've talked about Ducati, we've talked about BMW, we've talked about Yamaha, we've talked about three big stories, really, all the way through this winter. But there's still two manufacturers left to talk about. Kawasaki, bits of changes for them. Tito Rabat, actually, with the same spec bike as the factory or the official team from Probex. So that's important for Kawasaki to have more information, more data. But uh, three riders on the Kawasaki Lowe's and Bassani on the factory bikes and then Tito Rabat. They're, like you said earlier on, still trying to just get the most they can out of that package without really having that much that's new. But there is, with the regulation changes, some changes for that bike. Yes, and it's quite importantly, it's the changes that they couldn't use last year. They were allowed to use, but couldn't use. Couldn't use. Um, and that, I think that's the biggest, uh, the biggest difference, is that they have several upgrades this year. How big an upgrade, how big a difference it makes in the end result, I don't know. But certainly the the need they needed to make a change. It's the oldest basic design in the whole paddock. Um it's got very and I've touched on this before, sorry if I'm repeating myself, but it's got quite old fashioned engine architecture. It's got quite a relatively narrow bore and long stroke, which is great for making torque, but nowadays as was proved by Bautista last year and top right moving to a more powerful, more modern engine BMW, you need to have those revs and power-making facilities to, to be able to win races when you're as good as, as the top two or three guys are. So we'll see what happens if Kawasaki is able to make a big enough difference. They were quite keen to have lower inertia engine, and this year you could have 20% crank weight change, up or down, they'll be going down, to allow them to run their changed valve train. They've got a new camshaft. They qualified for a few things last year. 250 revs, couldn't use them. 250, another 250 revs, in total 500, couldn't use them because they, they couldn't make the top end work with it. With the camshaft and the crankshaft changes, that bike should be faster and should work better. I'm curious to see what's said after this test here in Portimao because Jerez isn't an engine track. You know, it's a five-gear track. For most, most bikes, it can even be a four-gear track. And uh, that means you're never really up at the, the top end trying to see what advantage you get from that. Here in Portimao, it's the exact opposite. You've got a fast corner leading onto a long straight. This track, you use all six gears. This is why it's a great place to come testing. There's a lot you're able to do. And they were able to see the difference that those revs make for Kawasaki because in the past, if you think back, what was it, three years ago, two years ago, when they had the extra revs and they were taken off them, the big thing going into the first round was Ray was saying, oh, you know, when we tested at such and such, we were able to save our shifts. We were able to do this, that, and the other. And once you're saving on a couple of shifts per lap, you know, three, four shifts a lap, that all adds up over race. It's 80 shifts, but it's 40 back shifts as well. It's time to make mistakes can be saved. And that's where I'm quite keen to see what happens now. There's, I think there's two main things at play there. There's one lap time on your own if you've got more revs you should be able to make a faster lap time in a really fast track like this because you're, you're getting through those gears earlier, you're at full pace for longer. That should be a, an upgrade. 
ultimately, the other thing is that when you're fighting with other riders, you could see last year that, for example, Batista would blow past Ray as if he wasn't there sometimes, just like Top Rack on certain tracks with Father. You don't have to have a bike faster than that person, but you have to have a bike fast enough to stay in the slipstream. And Ray and those guys were sometimes saying, I couldn't even, when he goes past, you can't stay in the slipstream. If you've got a better bike with more over rev, you can hang on until you get to that crucial braking zone and then maybe use your advantages in braking. The Ducati's not the easiest thing to change direction. You can see the way that Batista races it and rides it. He's always on the edge, entering corners, going into corners. He needs to get the bike a bit light to help it turn because turning conventionally on a Ducati is quite a heavy turning bike. One bike that's difficult in corner entry, mid-corner and exit is the Honda Gordo because it's just struggling Still. badly. We're five years into the HRC project now. I find it very bizarre that the whole um, they built a whole new bike this year, which is very similar to the old one, obviously. But it's it looks like they've taken all the data they've had from all those years. They've done a lot of engineering with the Pirelli tires, which again was spoken already is very different from everybody else's. Um, and the first time out against everybody else. It didn't look good, and the riders were clearly not happy. They were very diplomatic in their press comments, but they weren't happy, and we were out on track. We went around track a couple of times. It just looked wild going into turn, turn six. Pedroza corner was just wild. I mean, it just didn't look planted, didn't look anything. Different lines every time. Vieri was taking a, a more smooth inside line, but like Ona, every time on the braking was like, almost thropping a bit in yeah. times. And what, what was interesting for me was it wasn't just equal like that because into turn two, every time I saw Xavi Vieira, he was losing the front end there as well. That bike just looked really difficult until they put the Q-tire on. When they put the Q-tire on, the last laps that we saw Lacona was the first time that he looked like he had a bike underneath him. And I think Honda looked just as lost as they had before and that's the biggest challenge because they've changed personnel in the pit box again they've gotten rid of Pete Jennings as Lacona's crew chief there's other changes in there as well Leon Camier's gone as the team manager and they're no closer to finding a solution they don't look at they even look it's very very early stages so we'll see how it goes maybe this is all taking last year's data and this year's bike and it's just not mixing yet so let's not be too harsh on them but I honestly would like to see much more right now because goodness knows I've had long enough to work it out and they've got a brand new bike that's supposed to be set up for this championship it's not looking good right now hopefully that'll change out because everybody wants to see Honda successful like everybody else I want to see all the manufacturers winning yeah it's better for everyone when everyone's competitive and that's the big thing and Gordo we're finishing up now we've we're, well, we're two hours into the Portimao test as we record this. We've got interviews to do to get everyone ready for the start of the season. We're going to be back with a, a full testing roundup and season preview, but it's not long until we go to Australia now. I think it's three weeks until we, we're down in Australia ready for testing and the first race of the year. I'm leaving on the 12th of February. I'm going a bit early, riding a bike down from Sydney, meeting a friend on the way, going out with my Italian colleague Carlo Baldi. We're riding two Yamahas down from uh, Sydney, from my headquarters in Sydney. I'm going to take my time going down, um, stop, do a bit of work, but basically get ready for Australia. So hopefully by the time the racing starts, I'll be you know over the jet lag and ready to go. The testing starts, actually. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, it seems like five minutes ago we were doing the last reports of the last season. 
and then the, the testing starts, then it's Christmas, then it's New Year, and then we're going to Australia. It's like the good old days, you know? We used to go to Australia for a big test every January, and then go back in February, March, April for the race. So, yeah, and no rest for the wicked, but we've obviously been really, really bad, Steve. Yeah, well, really you bad. are a wicked man, Gordo, but uh, thankfully you're a wicked man with us on the podcast once again this year, and it does set up to be a great year for Superbike. So, Gordo, thanks for being on the show this week. Absolute pleasure, mate. Love doing them. And a big thank you to everyone for supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podcast. We've actually got a really interesting, a really cool competition this year for our Patreon supporters. If you sign up to be a Paddock Insider and you take the annual subscription for this year, you're going to enter a draw for the uh, chance to be in the MotoGP paddock. So we've got two paddock passes available during the course of the season for one lucky uh, winner in that competition. So if you sign up to be an annual paddock insider where you get our paddock notes show and lots of interviews and extra content through the year, you'll join everyone else with a raffle and a good chance to be able to get two paddock passes to the Grand Prix of your choice. So it's going to be a really good prize. I think everyone's very excited to be able to offer something like that. So make sure to sign up at patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast. We'll also have a lot of super bike content on the Patreon. And Gordo, we've got your Gordon Ritchie Remembers series this year. And uh, obviously, I'm very excited to get through some of those memory banks as well. So it'll be interesting to see some of the stories. I think you've got a, a few interesting ones. You did say that there's a few with Ronald Tenkada that you probably think aren't fit for, even for Patreon consumption. Well, Ronald's easiest get it you've got to worry about. <laughs> get it, Tenkata is the one you really have to worry about. Well, there you go. Maybe that's enough to entice people to sign up for our Superbike content as well, but we'll have plenty of them all the way through the year. And Gordon, we actually did a big list of what we're going to have. And it's a, it's a variety of racing memories, event memories, travel memories, and uh, just different stories from your time in the paddock. It, it's the stuff you can't see on television, basically, that, or read in the media. It, it's all those little human things. That's why it won't just be about the racing and the best race I've been to, whatever. I'm sure there'll be an element of that as well. But it's all about what it's like being here, doing this. I think that's the value when you're somebody that's been here as long as me. You can see different eras and you can talk about the racing, and that's great. That's what we're here for. But it's all the, the daftness that happens behind the scenes that you never get to hear about. It's kind of a, a way of bringing you a wee bit closer to the paddock, maybe, and, and, and this job, and, and get behind the scenes. People like to look behind the scenes. It's all right going to see a movie, but lots of people are interested in how it was made and the dramas that happened behind the scenes. That, that's kind of what we're trying to touch on. Yeah, pull the curtain back and uh, we'll see uh, just that Gordo's the Wizard of Oz. But uh, sign up <laughs> at patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast for that. As ever, a big thank you to Renthal Street, KTM and to Fly Racing as well for supporting the podcast. We'll be back pretty soon, Gordo, as well for another Superbike show just to review all the testing action and, as I said, get ready for Phillip Island. David and uh, Adam and Neil will be back for Sepang testing as well. It really is all go now on the podcast so make sure to check out all your normal feeds for that This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by David Emmett, Steve English, 
Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. Music is provided by the Libertines. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.